That scared the junk out of me. <laughs> Tell you what, glad to be here though. <laughs> Freezing, but but I'm glad to be here. Um, we we had a, a great time yesterday, and I and I, and I love. I'm going to center up here for all you people with OCD, <laughs> including me. Uh, I wanted to straighten up that one guitar there too before I came up because it's tilting. Just in fact, I'm going to do it. It just drives me nuts. <laughs> Okay, is that better? Thank you. See, we're already learning why we need grace right away. I, I, I want to I spend our time uh, talking about grace in uh, probably the, the, the place that needs it the most, but sometimes gets it the least, and that's in our families. People that we love the most and uh, care for the most, but sometimes... Uh, um, take advantage of that love the most. Um, and, uh, and everything I'm talking about, any, any struggles that I might talk about that seem to hit home to you, please know that uh, I walk with a limp too. Uh, I have feet of clay too. My, my, my search for God's applied grace is just as much for my own sake as it is to try and help other people's. Um, we talked yesterday about how, you know, you, you get married and you think this is the greatest day of your life until after the honeymoon and you realize that you married a person that has a lot of issues. Um, and they're thinking the same thing. And then that love that you have for each other produces some children. And what a, it's so exciting. And they wrap them up like little burritos and all and hand them to you and you're just so excited and then you find out that you know they have uh demands at one end and no sense of responsibility at the other and 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 everything gets it's complicated and then they become children and you realize that i mean there's people there's people in this crowd who go to work and you wield enormous influence enormous authority and on top of that, you are layered, nuanced in your intellect. You're so smart. And you come home and your kids treat you like you're dumber than, uh, than, than crushed ice. And, and, then, and then they become teenagers. You know, teenagers are what, that, don't fear the teenage years. That is, I think, one of the most exciting times to be a parent. And a lot of, you all hear, hear so many say, oh, so dreading the teenagers. You know why? Because you remember when you were a teenager. And, and, and all, they, they dread it. Uh, but but, but our, kids, our kids are coming into a, a time of great turmoil when they're teenagers. The, the, the people they need not panicking are the parents during that time. But they do push your buttons. Whether they're little kids or big kids, it's amazing how they will, they, they will just, uh, by 9 o'clock, have you frazzled. And, and then they, 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 they've ran all the limits all day long. Have you ever been in this situation, especially with the teenager, where they finally fall asleep at night? And it's been a tough day with them. You've wanted to ground them for life. And, and then finally they fall asleep. And then you go in there and, I, and you put your little hand on, on your, and you're rubbing your little head. And you want to go Pentecostal and say, demon, come out. What is your stinking problem, kid? You're driving me nuts. It's called family. And it's the greatest place 
to demonstrate what the love of God looks like from the heart. Where your love for those, those people and for each other has not in any way attached to how well that person behaves or how much they love you back. Well, let's learn about that together. Because creating a culture of grace in our homes is a, is a vital part of our role as followers of Jesus. And yet, I, I think one of the struggles we have, and, and, and Pastor uh, Scott is going to really uh, dive in on this next week very thoroughly, is that I think as Christians, we actually struggle with a bit of a disconnect when it comes to this concept of grace, mainly because we keep it a concept instead of a real, live, breathing thing that's actively living in our lives. And, and when it comes to grace, I think the average Christian struggles with uh, the problem of confining it to the whole role it plays in saving us from our sin. I think if you're a follower of Jesus, you know full well that you could not have uh, uh, been redeemed unless Jesus sent his son to intervene in time and space and save you and save me in spite of ourselves. He had to surrender his life for our sin. And that was a, a complete act of grace. He did not do this because we deserved it. He did not do this because we're so lovable. He did it in spite of all the problems we have because he greatly loves us. But it was an act of grace. We get that part. But then when it comes to the actual Christian life, we have a problem of confining it. It's just kind of leaving it there at the foot of the cross when it comes to salvation, then we go into the Christian life and, we, and, and it becomes much more of a performance-based thing. There's a bunch of Christian hoops we think we need to jump through. And we think if we jump through them just right, God's going to love us more, and if we don't, he's going to love us less. There's nothing in the gospel that says God's going to love you more just because you, you behave better, because he already loves you completely. He can't love you more. And he's not going to love us less because we don't uh, measure up, because he's not loving us based on how we measure up. That's grace. And so, but he meant the grace that he, that he uh, showed us in salvation to wash over us and to completely retrofit us and redefine us and become the, 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 the defining feature, the default mode of how we deal with the people close to us, especially, or deal with anybody, but especially the people in our families. And I used this illustration yesterday. A few people at the conference will allow me to just repeat this. I think what, to create a, a climate of grace, culture of grace, atmosphere of grace at our home, let me, exp, let me kind of give you an example of what that is and isn't. Let's use our setting here. Since the worship team began and they started singing those songs, would you say that those songs were theologically correct? Yes. They, they were biblically accurate, right? So far, I, although I haven't shown any scriptures, would you say so far I'm representing the doctrine of our faith accurately so far? So from a truth point of view, I'm getting it just right. But what if it was 25 degrees in this room right now? And you're dressed just like you are right now. See, it wouldn't matter how right I'm getting the, the story. It wouldn't matter how, how accurate I ha have the truth. You'd have a hard time responding to it because you're so cold. In the same way, when we don't have grace as the active part of our environment, of our home, it's hard for the people within it I think, to, to actually connect and, and stay connected on an ongoing basis to the heart of God. My wife and I we found ourselves in this journey, and we, 
we decided to study God as a, in his role as a parent in the Bible. We did not confine our study to those handful of passages that deal with parent-child relationships, but we, we took it from page one all the way to the end, realizing that everybody is an offspring of God from creation, and we wanted to see if there was a pattern, and we, we got to where there was like four dimensions or four levels of his grace coming at us, and, and we distilled it down to a paper napkin. They might have the slides on that, I think, maybe. Uh, no, 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 back. Maybe you don't have the slides. Okay, let's hold the, hold the fire on that one. You can get one out there at the resource table. Just pick one up on your way out. And we distilled it down. Well, in the second level, one of the things God's grace does is he sets our hearts free. What I want to spend the rest of our time doing is showing you what that looks like when God's grace is in our home, setting the hearts of the people free. Because you see, many times in our one of the patterns I think it's easy to fall into in the Christian life is what I call fear-based families or fear-based parenting. The problem with that is if we're followers of Jesus, we should be the last people afraid of just about anything. You know, the only thing we're supposed to be afraid of are things he meant for us. He gave us fear to be afraid of. I'm afraid of running across I-17 on foot. That's a good fear. I shouldn't do that. And so, so he gives us these, these type of legitimate fears to protect us. But unfortunately, fear can come along and own us and then completely set the stage for it. Another thing is performance-based Christianity. That's really, that's what happens when we leave grace behind and we just have the truth, the law. And so, so one of the things God's grace does is he sets us free. And let me give you four wonderful ways that he does that. And uh, we outline them on that um, not that paper napkin. The first one is this one. Grace-based families give the people they love the freedom to be different. To be different. And let me give you some synonyms for this so you know where I'm coming from. Because that might seem like a fairly lame statement. But then you see the synonyms, you realize, whoa, a little bit more to this than I thought. Grace-based families give the people they love the freedom to be different. Which means like weird, bizarre, strange, goofy, quirky. Grace-based homes have room for that kind of person. A fear-based home does not. A spiritual performance-based home does not. When we're following our kids around with a spiritual report card, that is not, that is not, does not have room for weird, bizarre, strange, goofy, quirky kids. And, and, and one of the reasons why we many times have struggles with these kids, because they annoy us. Their, their differences just flat out annoy us. Or they might embarrass us, especially when they go, you might have kids that go through very different stages when it comes to how they like to dress. You prefer having, you know, uh, all the say on their wardrobe. Well, that's fine, maybe if you're their drill sergeant or something, but otherwise, uh, it's a family, it's a home. People have different tastes, different styles. And so, so we, we many times want to mandate that because it bothers us. Or we're worried about whether people will think about us on how our kids... Now, I'm, I'm, I'm picking right... By the way, I'm picking a, a very lame, safe way to illustrate this. How they dress or how they appear. I think right now people are pretty open to letting their kids, you know, express themselves. Uh, we, I'm from a generation that forced our parents to accept us because we're just a bunch of goofy hippies. And, and, and uh, I mean, we tested our parents' gag threshold every time we walked, walked out the door. 
And, now, and, and some t- kids today look pretty cool, but sometimes they look like they were dragged behind the school bus uh, to school. But, 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 you give them, uh, but this, was a, this is a safe one to talk about. Uh, because if, if we're not careful, we can make the mistake of making a moral issue out of non-moral things or a biblical issue out of non-biblical things. Let's say your kid goes over and tries a different type of hair, hairdo and, uh, at his friend's house. And the kid, you know, he's a teenager. And, and the guy says, uh, I'll help you. Lay down on the grass here. Cover your eyes. And he gets a weed whacker. You know, and then they get in his mother's uh, hair color. And they do a little purple, a little green, a little yellow, a little orange. And he spikes it out. And he comes home. What do you think, Mom? And she says something like, I don't think Jesus would be very pleased with your hair. <laughs> you see, see, that would be making a biblical issue out of a non-biblical issue. I read through the Bible every year. And I remember there was a time when I was having to referee all these fights between parents and their kids over their hair. Right now, it's not going on, but there was a time. And I thought, I wonder what the Bible has to say about this. I've read the whole Bible on it. I just put a little notebook in. Keep an eye out for what God has to say about hair. Basically, here's what he has to say. He says, I don't care. It's your hair. Express yourself. You can use this as a lab experiment for all I care. Some of you might want to grab the chance while you can. Because <laughs> it's going to bail on you. Now, can you, as a parent, make guidelines and set standards for, for expectations for your kid's hair? The answer is yes, you're the parent. You can do that. Just don't make it a moral issue or a biblical issue. And be careful on some kids if that's the hill you want to die on. Because <laughs> it might be a little more important to them than it is to you. We, our, our, our youngest son was uh, born in Colt. He, he's tall. He's 6'4". I mean, he was tall even in junior high. And he asked me at the beginning of his eighth grade, Dad, can I grow my hair real long? I said, man, give it your best shot. You're going to have to go a long time before it was as long as mine was in junior high. And so he grew it out real long, and it looked really great. Well, I was speaking at a church down in uh, Miami, Florida, and uh, uh, actually I was done. I was in the taxi going to the airport to fly back home when I got my my phone went off, and it was cold. And he said, Dad, it's spring break. I said, I know, we're going to have a lot of fun. He said, Dad, I'm wondering, can I have a mohawk? Can I have a mohawk? I thought about it. I said, you know what, that would be fun. Tell you what, I'm going to be home about 7, 7.30 tonight. I'll cut you a great mohawk. You can have it all week, but we'll have to buzz it off next Saturday because your school doesn't allow mohawks. Okay, so we both hung up. Now, you need to know something. I was, I was factoring in something. I was factoring in church. We go to Scottsdale Bible Church. It's a big church down there. And at the time, they had morning services, and they had two uh, afternoon, early evening services, and all the youth programs were in the afternoon because we were overcrowded, and so they brought all the families in the, in, the, in the afternoon. And I knew he'd be home from church, and I'd cut it off the next Saturday. He hung up. Our daughter Shiloh is listening. What did Dad say? He said, he's, he's, I can have one. He's going to cut it when he gets home. She said, I know how to cut one of those. And they got out the stuff, and they cut him. Remember, his hair was already pretty long. They trimmed the sides, and they took the rest of it, and they put it straight up, and they took Elmer's glue, and they glued that thing up. I mean, it was a huge one, and he went to church. 
Now, I'm sure he sucked the oxygen out of a lot of the people. And the elderly people were, were taking, find, the women were finding every medication they have and just shove, you know, and, and wonder what happened to, you know, security and all that stuff. Well, in between the two services, you know, because the weather's so nice down there, everybody just congregates out in the middle. And our pastor at the time was a guy named Daryl. He was out there talking with the people and he saw him and he yelled at him, Cole Kimmel, is that you? Get over here. And he came over and he looked up because he was taller than him. He said, that's the finest Mohawk I've ever seen. That's incredible. How do you get it to stay up? Glue. And, it, and he said, that is incredible. Now, the reason I even tell you this story is because it was very important to Darcy and me that we took our kids to a church where the people running it know what matters and what doesn't matter. See, man looks on the outside. What does the Bible say? God looks on the heart. Grace-based family. Give people the freedom to be different. Now, I'm using a tame illustration here that most of us would find easy to accept. But there's all kinds of ways that people are different and nuanced and quirky and goofy. And we don't want to attack that stuff because God doesn't, in fact, who wired us that way? God did. And many times when we're attacking other people because they're not like us or not what our preferences are, we're basically attacking where God, um, God made them. Look at what the scripture says on this. In Romans chapter 15, Verses 5 to 7. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together, together, you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, accept one another as Christ has accepted you for the glory of God. Now, accept one another as Christ has accepted you. That's a tip-off to what is my favorite one-sentence definition of grace-based parenting and grace-based families. Simply treating your kids the way God treats you. Treating your family members the way God treats you. That's all we're talking about. And God gives us the freedom to be different. Looking in Psalm 139, verse 14, David is talking. He says, I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works and my soul knows it very well uh, and sometimes that fearfully is is you know pushing your your per personal preference and taste and all and yet god does these wonderful things through these people grace-based families allow the children the freedom to be different by the way i want to say one thing for uh, if anybody here was born like in the 1950s or prior to that we have no grounds for criticizing how kids look today in their yearbooks to prove it and if you look up in our yearbooks, we were some of the ugliest people ever went to school. <laughs> so give them the freedom to be different. Secondly, grace-based families give the people they love the freedom to be vulnerable. The freedom to be vulnerable. Meaning they don't have to wear masks around us. They can verbalize their doubts and their fears. Their fragile features can come to the surface without fear of them being attacked. This is vital. I was going into the ninth grade, big high school back in Maryland, Annapolis High School. And I was very excited because uh, the girls were prettier, the rock and roll was louder, more both. And I was going to play football for their famous coach. But that summer, between our eighth and ninth year, several hundred of us incoming freshmen got letters from the Board of Education saying that because of overcrowded conditions, we were being annexed to an elementary school in downtown Annapolis. 
So instead of going to big high school, we're back in elementary school. And there were a lot of trade-offs. Probably the biggest one was in the area of phys ed, because normally you'd have, you know, put on a phys ed outfit and, and, and all, and you go out and, and do whatever, and it's a very humid area, so you sweat a lot. No problem. You take a shower, put your clothes back on, school clothes, and go back. We, did, we had to do everything in our school clothes. There was a gymnasium on the second floor of a building a, 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 a couple blocks from the school, and I went in there one winter morning for phys ed. And when I walked in, I had, went up the stairs on the side. When I walked into the gym, I got very excited because there was a trampoline open in the middle of the gym. And I got excited because I'd never jumped on one before. They weren't pieces of equipment in backyards back then. The coach came out. We all gathered around. He looked around at all of us, and he turned back to me. He said, Kimmel, take off your shoes, leave on your socks. Climb up here, follow my instructions. So I pulled my shoes off, and I climbed up, but as I did, I realized I had holes in both of my socks. <laughs> and one of my friends thought everybody should notice this. And he said, oh, look at Tim's toes sticking out. Isn't this sad? We need to take up a collection and buy Tim some real socks. It was a way of him marginalizing my, the economics of my family because we came, I came from a, we weren't poor, but we were just the notch above it. We were the bottom line of middle class. We paid our bills in time. We didn't miss a meal. But other than that, we didn't have anything extra. And we went by the mantra, get as much mileage out of your clothing as you can. And up to that point, I thought it was a good idea until this happened. So I'm up there, and I'm jumping, and I'm doing exactly what he's telling me to do. But the whole time, I'm thinking of my toes sticking out. And when I stood down after my demo, and the other guys were jumping, all I'm thinking, I'm going to go home. I'm going to get out my sock drawer. I'm going to darn every pair of socks. I will never let this happen to me in public again. When the bell rang, the coach, he took off, and we all got our stuff, and I got my, my shoes on, and then my, my coat, my books, and I went out the side door, and I got down to the bottom of the stairs, and I hear my name, Kimmel, wait up. It was that coach. He and I just, hey, Tim, I want to tell you why I called in to do that demonstration. Tim, you're the most agile student in my class. And then he went and pulled off his tennis shoe. He's standing there, a big old hole in his tennis, in his sock. He says, you know, us agile guys are tough on socks, man. <laughs> now go to class. So I'm heading over to class, and the whole way I'm thinking, what's agile? Because <laughs> I'd never heard the word before. It shows you, you know, anyway, I was going to English class. They had these big dictionaries. They loved it, actually, when you looked up a word on your own without a gun held to your head. And I, I looked up agile. And I read for the first time in my life that I could move with speed, ease, elegance, and liveliness. And I also read that I was mentally alert and quick-witted. No one had ever told me that before. I wrote it down. <laughs> and I memorized it. And I did a 180-degree turn in two major areas of my life, academics and athletics. In fact, they had a contest uh, a month or so later. Who could do the most sit-ups in the ninth grade? And I decided I'm going to win this thing. Unfortunately, another guy next to me thought he was going to win it, and I did one more than him. But I just kept going and going. By the way, these weren't crunch things you do now. They could do millions of those. These are things that have long since been outlawed from the school system because of lower back uh, distress, where you had to lay down flat. Somebody held your feet down, which, by the way, hurt like mad. And they didn't bend the knee. They had all the, and they'd go all the way up and over and touch to make it count. And, and they, they just let us keep going. I sat up all through phys ed class through English class and halfway through lunch. And set the record that year. My stomach muscles hurt for several days after that. But I didn't care, because I was agile. <laughs> 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 I 
Now, it took me a while to put the pieces together to figure out why the coach disappeared so quickly after class. He had to get to his little office, get his shoe off, get the scissors out, cut the hole in his sock, put him back on and chase me down. Because he was a PE coach. They don't go around with holes in their socks. They get the best equipment ever. They always have new shoes and socks given to them. But he saw a vulnerable kid that needed help. He saw what happened. And he gave me grace. Now listen. Our children and our teenagers have these kind of moments Pay attention here. All the time. Someone has described childhood as a 24-hour day, seven-day-a-week, 365-day-a-year battle to keep from being embarrassed. We need to be sensitive to these kids. You know what? You know, the ability to be vulnerable in a safe place keeps you from ending up having your emotions do all your thinking for you. Because you don't want your emotions doing your thinking. You want them doing your feeling. They don't know how to think. They, are, they have no capacity to think. But right now, I think one of the biggest things that's, that's plaguing our nation is it's a nation that's thinking with its feelings. And I think a lot of it is because they, people were never allowed the freedom to be vulnerable. We can change that in our home. Paul had a thorn in the flesh. He went to God, asked him to take it away. It might have been a medical issue or something. And... and each time God said no. And finally, in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, God, God said, My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in your weaknesses. And though, so Paul said, Therefore, I will boast all the more about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest in me. I love this verse here too. In Colossians chapter 4, verse 6, Let your conversation, look at this, be always full of grace. Season with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Grace-based families give the people they love the freedom to be different, the freedom to be vulnerable. Thirdly, they give the people they love the freedom to be candid, to be candid. Notice I didn't say honest, because you got to know bare naked honesty, unbridled honesty can be cruel. Candor is honesty with a concern about how it affects the person on the receiving end of it. That's what makes it better. To be candid, we need to give the people we love a respectful outlet for telling us what's on their heart, even if it's something we're not excited about hearing. Maybe your teenagers are starting to question their faith. They're saying, you know, I'm sorry, but I'm having a hard time believing that this, there's only one way to heaven. Or the Bible is the ultimate authority. This isn't a time to panic. Hire somebody from Phoenix Seminary, one of the professors, and duct tape them to your kid's face until they, they look, smarter kids than yours and mine have struggled with this, and, and they all, God has a way of bringing them in. This is a time to remain calm while your kid's faith is on trial. This is a time to show what a person with a confident faith looks like while they're wrestling with this. We, in, in Hebrews chapter 4, I, I mentioned this yesterday at the conference that I love the way uh, the writer tells us about the kind of high priest we have in Jesus. He says, we don't have, a, in, in, in chapter 4, he says, we don't have a high priest who doesn't understand what it's like to be in our skin. He wasn't always tempted like we are, yet without sin. Therefore, he says in verse 16, let us then approach the throne of, of grace, 
of his, his throne of grace with confidence so that you may receive mercy and find grace to help us in the time of our need. Have you ever been angry at God? Because I have. My mother died a lot younger than I thought she should have. God didn't explain what was going on, but he did say, come to me, I have a big chest. Pour it out. I understand how you feel. I understand. And you're in a safe place to talk to me. See, when we don't, when we don't allow kids the freedom to be candid, it's, it's a form of high control. We're not supposed to control our kids. We're supposed to keep them under control with all dignity, the Bible says. There's a big difference. You know, another way I think they need to be able to be free to be candid with us is to voice their disappointments in us. Because unless you're a perfect parent, you're going to get it wrong sometimes. Now, when our kids get it wrong, we have an outlet to tell them they got it wrong. We say, hey, you got it wrong. That's unacceptable. We don't do that here. Parents do that all the time. Is it a two-way street? Because like I say, unless you're a perfect parent, you're going to get it wrong. Somewhere. We knew we'd get it wrong, and so we actually instituted a thing when our kids were younger. We called it What's Your Beef Night? And we call these things like once every three months or so. And the kids could come and say anything. They, they, they could order anything off the Kimmel menu. It could be four different things they wanted. And they could say anything that, that, that Darcy or I had done or said that really didn't work with them and hurt them and all. Now, they couldn't say, you made me go to school. You made me do my homework. You made me clean up that. No, no they, they knew. We're not talking about that stuff. We're talking about things where we clearly get it wrong. Because we wanted them to know you... you you have a safe place to come to. And, and we, we know we, we, we can mess this up sometimes and we don't want to be causing a, a, driving a wedge between you and us or you and God. Our son Cody, teenager, he, was, um, he finished his homework and he um, getting, getting ready for bed. He said, oh, Dad, I forgot to mention, I need you to call me out of school tomorrow at noon. Why, what's up? Oh, it's Diamondbacks open, opening game. And my friend Stephen got tickets and right behind the dugout. He invited me to go. Now, the Diamondbacks had beaten the Yankees the year before in the World Series. It's a big opening game. But for some stupid reason, I thought I should use this as an opportunity to teach my son about personal responsibility. He said, Cody, you're a student. Student, you have to go to school at 8 o'clock. You get out at 3. You can't take off just because something fun out there. But, Dad... I, I think that they're going to have a, they're going to have fly, uh, F-16s fly over. Well, that, that's nice, but 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 you know it's like you have a job. I have a job, and we, we don't need to take off. Just but, Dad, I think Randy Johnson's going to be in the mound. Once again, that's nice. But and I went back to my lecture on personal responsibility. I said, Dad, I think Alice Cooper's going to sing the national anthem. <laughs> and you just see more and more just how frustrating he gets. Finally, he got very quiet. He said, Dad, listen, I bring you home straight A's. All I've ever brought you home are straight A's. I can't bring you home any better grades than I'm bringing you. Now, you need to decide whether I can go to that game. And it was just like one huge divine arm came right down out of the cloud, did one of these right in the top of my head. What is your problem? What are you thinking? Are you nuts? I reached in my pocket and I took out two large bills and I handed them to Cody and I said, make sure you buy the big hot dogs and the big drinks for you and Stephen. And Cody, please forgive me. 
for being such an idiot. I'm so sorry. Now, you know, as you get older, move into that fourth quarter of your life, it's not uncommon for the memories of childhood to fade. And this memory may well fade in Cody's mind as he gets older, this, this event. But had I held my ground and refused to sign him out, he would have never forgotten till the day he died what a stubborn bonehead he had for a father. Here's the real irony, too. Those straight A's didn't come from my side of the gene pool. <laughs> they came from his mother's. I had to work hard for my B's and C's and things. I always felt you should have vowels and consonants on your report. See, Dad, I think it's a find-a-word deal there. I see like four. Can you sign the bottom? I mean, this is nuts. Another thing, I would have never asked my father to sign me out. I would have just ditched. I would have played hooky. We can get it wrong. Now, he had to do it respectfully, and he did. We raise the odds that our kids will speak respectfully to us when they're frustrated with us if we always speak respectfully to them when we're frustrated with them. Look at this verse here, Hebrews 12, 15. See to it that no one misses the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. Grace-based families give the people they love the freedom to be different, vulnerable, Candid. Lastly, they give them the freedom to make mistakes. To make mistakes. Another way you can say, the freedom to be imperfect. Meaning that they, they, they never have to worry that they're, if they fall short of the expectations, that that's in any way going to jeopardize our absolute commitment and love to them. Where did I get that from? That's how God deals with you and me. He's not dealing with us according to our sin. He's dealing with us according to his heart of love. And it's actively showing itself through his grace. If home is where life makes up its mind, and I believe it is, then it must be a place where disappointments are processed, where hurts are endured, and where mistakes never mean the end of a relationship. Now, that doesn't mean that when they get it wrong or they're imperfect that there aren't necessarily consequences for that. Because, see, discipline and correction is a form of grace. It's saying, I love you too much to stand idly by and watch you self-destruct. I love you too much to let you grow up to be a fool. I'm going to stand on your air hose. I'm going to intervene. Look at this in... Uh, once again, in Hebrews chapter 12, my son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For them whom the Lord loves, he chastens, he disciplines, he corrects. Out in the resource, uh, resource center, we have resources to help you on making this grace an active part of your life. And one of them is grace-based discipline and, and how, how grace changes the whole filter that we're looking through when it comes to uh, correcting our kids. And then the book, Grace-Based Parenting. And then for you grandparents, so there's one out there called uh, uh, Extreme Grandparenting, The Ride of Your Life. And uh, any, we have grandparents here, raise your hand. You know, if you're in the Holy of Holies of grandparents, it's, it's the greatest thing. Um, you, you know, Darcy and I, when we became grandparents, 
we always notice that grandparents get along so much better with their grandchildren than those children get along with their actual parents. We always notice that. When then we became grandparents and found out why. See, the reason grandparents and grandchildren get along so well is they both share a common source of annoyance. (laughs) But God gives us a chance to do something wonderful with it. Romans 5.8 reminds us, God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. See, he he has always shown grace to us in spite of ourselves. And we have a chance to make that part of our home. Let me close. Uh, And and I guess I want to close by just making this point that the window of opportunity to touch our children with grace is not open forever. I was reminded of this one Saturday morning when our daughter Shiloh awakened me before dawn. She got up, she got dressed, and she shook me awake. Dad, Dad, time to go out on our date. And I'd promised her the night before I'd take her out on a breakfast date. And I looked at the clock and said, honey, it's still dark out. Dad, I picked this outfit out for you. And I did my hair for you. And I knew where she wanted to go was open because it's open all the time. It was a circle K that she liked to go to. And I was going to take it. So, so, so I thought, oh, this will be fun. Good. So we got there right about dawn. And we got there. And uh, I, I, she picked out a couple of donuts for herself and some juice. And I got a cup of coffee for me. And I paid for everything. We went and sat down on a curb on the side of the circle K to have our deal. There was a dumpster over here, but we're fine. We're over here. We're fine. And we're, we're just visiting. And I'm letting her set the agenda. And she wanted to talk about the Sleeping Beauty video we'd gotten for her. And she'd been watching that movie a lot. And she did yabbering away about Sleeping Beauty. And I said, what's your favorite part? Said, oh, Dad, I love the part at the end when the handsome prince and Sleeping Beauty dance together in a castle. Oh, that's my favorite part, too, because I'd seen it. I don't know what provoked me to do this. I decided to reenact it. Put everything back in the bags. With it, and I picked Shiloh up. And I started singing it, I know you, and waltz with you once upon And we're just waltzing away. And as I came around, there was brand new homes over here. And there was a guy, I could see him, right there in his breakfast. And he's staring out the window at me. And I thought, oh, great. He's, a, he's probably stirring his coffee, calling his wife right about now. Honey, honey, look, look, look. There's an idiot. <laughs> over at the Circle K, dancing with a little girl next to a dumpster. But another thought crossed my mind. And in a very brief period of time, some young man was going to come along and tap me on the shoulder. And Mr. Kimmel, may I cut in? And Walter out of my life for good. Turned out his name was Ian. <laughs> He's a wonderful guy, but it just happened so fast. Listen, I know in the day-to-day stuff of raising kids, the days seem long. But trust this gray-haired man that's talking to you, the years are short. Let's seize those moments with grace. Lord Jesus, thank you for your amazing love and grace for us. We so are undeserving of it, and yet you just just continue to lavish it on us. I pray, Father, that we'll not only be recipients of your grace, but conduits of it. We want you and your love and grace to come through us to the people we are. Thank you, Lord, for these people. Bless them. I pray that we can move it into the default mode of our life through you and your power. In Jesus' name, amen.